the chapter, Mark chapter 11. And um, sometimes I come before you, you know, trying to bite off more than I can chew, and I don't realize it till about 20 minutes in. Um, I knew before I walked up here tonight that I was going to try to bite off more than I could chew, okay? So um, the Lord's just kind of already shown me that. And so I'm going to kind of take a deep breath. I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath. And um, we're going to take our time, and um, we're going to let the Lord uh, lay some foundation tonight and also build some things into our lives. And, um, and we'll just believe Him to show us the right time to quit and where to pick it up on next week. But um, I'm just extremely excited about giving to you tonight what the Lord has given to me to give to you. And um, I'm, I'm going to ask you tonight to just believe with me. Um, I heard Brother Keith Moore say this a while back, and it's, and it's so true that um, utterance has as much to do with the hearers and receivers of the word as it does with the person, the man or the woman delivering the word. And, um, and so uh, I want you to lean into this. I want you to bring your hearts to attention and receive this. Don't let the enemy, you made it here tonight, don't let the enemy steal this word from you tonight, okay? It's, it's, it's life-changing, amen, life-changing. Now, in Mark the 11th chapter, um, I'm going to just kind of paraphrase some of this. We went into greater detail last week, and maybe in the weeks ahead we'll come back into this, but um, let's begin at verse 12. It says, Now the next day when they had came out from Bethany, he was hungry, speaking of Jesus, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, said to the fig tree, let no one eat fruit, fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. In other words, Jesus made sure they heard him say that to the tree. Let's jump down to verse 20, because they went and took care of some things in Jerusalem. Then they came back out of Jerusalem. Verse 20, now in the morning, so the next day they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Amen. Now, this is, you know at the heart of what Jesus came to show us and by showing us what He came to teach us about faith. Faith is an extremely important subject for you and for me to learn about, understand, and ultimately grow in. I believe faith, as far as the category of things that it falls into, is second only to love itself. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, now abide faith, hope, love, these three, the greatest of these is love. I'm glad the Bible says that the greatest of these is love because if the Bible did not say that, I would argue that they were either all three equal because of the role that they play in interacting with one another. For instance, the Bible says the faith that's in you is energized and fueled by love. And the faith that God has given you, um, it gives substance to the things that you hope for in your heart. So we see that 
when it says now abides, now stands together would be one way to read that passage. Faith, hope, and love. But the Bible tells us that the greatest, so I'd argue either that they're three equal or even would try to argue with you that faith was, was the greatest of the three, but it's not. Love, according to God, is the greatest of the three. God is love. Amen. But just a close second, if you will, to the importance of love is the importance of faith in our lives. So much so that the life that we were created by God to live is defined by that singular word, faith. Obviously, we're to walk in love, but he says we walk by faith, not by sight. So the way God created us to live is faith. And of course, most people on planet Earth, even people who know about faith, even people who understand what the Bible says about faith, continue to live a life dominated by sight. A life dominated by responding to the way things look, seem, and feel as opposed to a life dominated by and living according to what God has said to be true even if there's no evidence of it being true in your life right now. Amen. Now Jesus, because a lot of people read this and they read a lot of things into this passage, and I'm not saying that there's not more to it than this, but if you miss this, you've missed the point altogether. And that is Jesus is using the fig tree as an object lesson for faith. He speaks to the tree. And clearly, he believed in his heart and did not doubt that whatever he said out of his mouth would come to pass. Because he spoke to the tree and he kept on walking. He didn't look back over his shoulder to see if anything had changed. He didn't like tell the disciples to sit there at breakfast and him run down the road to make sure it changed before they came that way. Matter of fact, he didn't even point out that it had changed. He wasn't surprised at all that it had changed. Because he believed in his heart that whatever he said out of his mouth would come to pass. So when the disciples saw this, they were so amazed by it. And Jesus didn't back down, but he, if anything, pardon the gambling expression, he doubled down. He said, look, it's not just if you speak to a fig tree. He said, if you speak to that mountain. So he pointed to a mountain. And if you say to this mountain, be removed into that sea. And do not doubt in your heart, but believe... Listen very carefully to what he said, but believe. He didn't say believe that the mountain could move. He said, if you will simply believe, I put the simply in there to, for, emphasis, for emphasis. If you will just simply believe, I put the just simply that time. If you will just simply believe whatever you say and do not doubt will come to pass, whatever you say, fig tree, mountain, cancer, sickness, disease, addiction, whatever you say will we'll obey you, will be moved. And he said all of that just before he said to them, have faith in God. Jesus is teaching us about two very important things in our lives that are related again. Faith and prayer. Faith and prayer. And he's using the object lesson of this fig tree to do that. All right? Are you with me so far? Now, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, we're going we're gonna to connect a lot of things together tonight. And we're doing it without the benefit of the overhead projector. So the projector's fine. The computer's fine. For some reason, the ability to transfer files back and forth is not working as it should. But we're going to get to the bottom of that. We're going to connect some things together tonight. And I wanted to go back to that passage in Mark 11 before we rolled up our sleeves and started digging into Hebrews 4. And here's why. Clearly, Jesus was showing us 
and easier and more effective way to accomplish things on planet Earth when he demonstrated the power of faith-spoken words. Yes? It wasn't that he was trying to impress them with his ability to curse a fig tree. He was trying to reveal to them their ability to speak to things and those things do whatever they say by them believing in their hearts that what they say out of their mouths will come to pass. That is the heart of this. It wasn't about the mountain. It was about faith. It wasn't about the fig tree. It was about faith. It, even, it wasn't even about Jesus trying to impress them as it was for them to be impressed by what they have the potential and by what you and I each have the potential to do ourselves. Amen. He was showing them a better way. Say it with me tonight. Say better way. He was showing them a better way. He was showing them the ways of God. He was demonstrating for them how to move mountains, either literal or figurative, in their lives, not with dynamite, not with drilling, not with roundup, not with, with heavy equipment, but with words spoken. Now, let's connect this together. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's begin at verse number 9. It says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. One translation says same example of unbelief. Now, look at me for a moment. There's a lot being said here that we took about nine months to say and still didn't get to the bottom of it a few years back. So I'm going to try to touch in a few seconds or a few minutes what is a very extensive subject here. But he's talking about rest, and he says that there is rest in knowing that we now have a covenant with God but there are a lot of people who have been born again and have a covenant with God that have not yet found that sweet spot of rest, that place of rest in their daily lives that is available to them. That's why he says there remains a place of rest. In other words, there is a, pla a place where you and I can enter into that God identifies with a simple four-letter word as rest that, that has uh, still escaped, what's the right word, eluded, evaded, a lot of people who know God and who will be in heaven one day. And part of the reason they haven't entered into the rest here that is available to them is because they keep kicking that forward to rest, like rest in peace one day when we die. Rest in peace is not for just when you die. R.I.P., rest in peace, is for right here today. We can rest in Christ in the peace that passes all understanding. Amen. Because He lives in us and dwells in us now. Amen. So, there are lots of messages, lots of sermons that, that can be preached from this passage. The rest that He's talking about here is not laziness. It's not ineffectiveness. He's talking about you and I shifting to a more effective way. He's talking about you and I accomplishing 
what needs to be accomplished here on this planet, not through the sweat of our brow, not through the hard work, uh, you, know, uh, you know, manual labor, not that God's opposed to us working hard, but He's talking about you and I being able to accomplish things in a way that is more effective, amen, and literally, how do I say this, where, where we are working from a place of rest. Working from a place of rest. Now let me try to give you a physical example of this by asking you a question. What is the easiest way to dig a ditch? Well, let's say you got to dig a ditch and all you got is your bare hands. Well, if somebody was to give you a shovel, the ditch just got easier to dig. If somebody gave you a shovel and a pick, well, the ditch just got easier still. If somebody delivered from Sunbelt Rentals a backhoe, there's still some work to be done, but the ditch just got easier still. But I'm offering to you this evening that the easiest way to dig a ditch is to pick up a telephone and call somebody to come dig it for you. You can dig a ditch that way without ever getting off the sofa, much less ever breaking a sweat. Is by digging it with words. By digging it with words. So that would be the way to dig a ditch from a place of rest. Right? You could say, well, I'm not working as hard. Because again, rest is one of those things that could be like relative. Rest relative to what? Rest relative to the guy who dug the ditch by hand in the sun on a 100 degree day with 80% humidity versus the guy who dug it from the air-conditioned cab of a backhoe on a shady, cool, 70 degree uh, fall morning. Do you see the difference here? So again, any position of effort in between that could be, you know, rest relative to how somebody else did it. This is rest in Hebrews relative to how God does it. Relative to how God gets it done. Amen. So if we're doing something, even if we're being effective at it, but if we're doing it in a way that is less than the way God gets it done, we're not resting. To say that the guy in the backhoe is resting compared to the guy that has four other men with shovels, well, that would be accurate. But the guy that has four other men with shovels and picks is resting compared to the guy that's in the hot sun trying to dig it with his bare hands. Are you following what I'm saying here? So rest then is relative to whoever may have it harder or whoever may have it easier. But again, the rest that we're talking about now is the rest that God has entered into that He is now inviting you and me to enter into. And we see that God gets done, things done by speaking. Amen. Amen. Oh, sweet Jesus. I love what Pastor Sam said on Sunday morning. I think he said it was 25 times in Genesis 
Was it Sunday morning or Sunday evening? God said, it was so, it was good. God said, it was so, it was good. God said, let there be light. It was so, it was good. God said, God said, God said, it was so, it was so, it was so, it was good, it was good, it was good. Then after he did all of that, he said that he created you and me in his image and in his likeness. Image and likeness means you were created by God to look like he looks and to function the way he functions. How does God function? God said, it was so, it was good. Now I know for a lot of folks, you know, maybe not necessarily the crowd that's here on a Wednesday night, but people who may be listening to this through the internet, a CD recording, whatever, video, Vimeo, whatever. You know, this, in other words, this is, these teachings are railed against in the body of Christ. These teachings are resisted by, by a lot of born-again people. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, Anytime he tells you that, I've said this so many times over the years, anytime Jesus, I think I said it last Wednesday night, anytime Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, that means he's about to say something that seems so foreign, so bizarre, so extreme, that there's no way it can be true, but it's true, so brace yourself and get ready to embrace this truth. Don't stagger at it. Don't let it bowl you over. Grab hold of it, hang on to it, and, and don't let it go until it becomes a part of your personality, until your mind is renewed to it, until you begin to see yourself as this, as what the Word of God says. Amen. So Jesus is showing us a better way. Do you see why wanted you to say better way? He showed us a better way by His demonstration. I'm offering to you tonight that this is what He's speaking of here when He's talking about entering, at least a part of what He's talking about when He says entering into the rest. Let's keep reading Hebrews 4. Verse 12 now. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Thank you, Jesus. Notice a few things I want to point out here. The connection between rest, the new and better way of getting results, and now he's talking about God's Word. He says that God's Word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Let's go to verse 14. I'm skipping over some stuff. We'll come back to it if we have time. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What is confession? He's talking about Saying the same as. Saying the same as who? Saying the same as God says. It's not just that you agree with what God says. 
It's not just that you align your thoughts with the thoughts of God, but once you do that, you then say out of your mouth what God has already declared to be true, even though there's no evidence yet in your life that it is true. There's some things that you will never see until you believe them. We want to see and then believe. Faith will open up the doors and the windows for you to see once you believe it and begin to act on it, right? As if it is true. Things that you will never see any other way. It's hard for a lot of people because again, the rational mind, people who have been so accustomed to living their life based upon the way something looks, the way something seems, the way something feels, you've got to break through that. Faith is the only bridge that will carry you over that. It's the only bridge that will ever carry you beyond that. And I'm telling you, if you have any confidence in God, if you have any confidence in His Word, and I'm, I'm, I'm even going to go here tonight, if you have any confidence in me, in other words, if you're not sure about this, telling you right now, I've seen the other side, my friend, it's there. I'd be somewhere doing something else, making millions of dollars. Are you understand what I'm saying? I, I wouldn't sit here and play patty cake games with you, wasting your time and my time, your life and my life. Now, I know that may sound an odd thing for me to say. Obviously, God and His Word. But, you know, you say, well, I, I just, you know, things are proven in the court of law by witnesses. Any other witnesses in the room tonight? Amen. That's what I'm saying, right? I mean, I'm telling you, there's a world that some folks, even some folks in this room, you've never, your eyes have never been open to it. You haven't seen it yet. You're interested, you're curious, you're hoping. It's like, man, it'd be nice if it was true, Pastor Mark, but I don't know about that. I'm telling you, it's there. He's there. He's there. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let me summarize. Jesus is our high priest. He's my high priest, and he's your high priest. Even if there's someone here tonight, I don't, I don't believe there is, maybe, but there is, it could always be. If someone here tonight has never been born again, he's still your high priest. He's the only high priest, right? Amen. In other words, he, you know what I'm saying? And there's, there's no other high priest, there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. In other words, you've got to go through him to be saved. So he's your high priest in that regard. Jesus is our high priest. And he is the high priest of our confession, of my confession, of your confession. And he has passed through the heavens. That's very significant. It'll be a piece that we'll bring onto the table at a later date. But for now, know that it's the lower atmosphere that surrounds this earth that is the realm of demonic activity. And when it says Jesus passed through that, it literally means that he made a way, he blazed a trail 
to the throne of grace. Now for any person who wants to follow Him as our high priest to also find grace and help in time of need at that same throne. So again, Jesus is our high priest and He is the high priest of my confession, your confession, our confession. He has passed through the heavens, all of which are meant, all of these statements that we could preach series of sermons on Jesus our high priest, we could preach series of sermons on the priest of your confession, we could preach series of sermons on He has passed through the heavens and what all of that means and the significance of all of these things. But again, He offers these three amazing truths in an effort to encourage you and to encourage me to hold fast our confession. Reminding us that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of, sympathize with our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. I skipped over some stuff to get to this point right here. Okay, and then I'll finish. The word weaknesses is a key word that will unlock a large portion of the meaning of this passage. Listen to me now very carefully. Weaknesses, something we all have in common. The Bible says that every person has a sin that easily besets or trips them up. What may ensnare you may not ensnare me. But we all have an area of weakness. The Apostle Paul went on to explain that if we learn, as born-again believers, if we learn how to let God be strong in our area of weakness, what was previously an area of weakness that the enemy used to almost destroy our lives can actually become an area of our greatest strength and testimony. But again, weakness or weaknesses, something we can all relate to, something that we all have in common. Jesus understands your weaknesses because he has experienced your weaknesses, he's lived them without sin. But nonetheless, he's lived them. Now, someone may say, I sin, Pastor Mark, because I'm weak. And when we say that, what we typically are communicating by that statement is, I'm weak in the sense that I don't have the ability to resist in a certain area. Yeah, yeah come on now, I'm, amen. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am saying tonight that that is incomplete. If we break this word weaknesses down, like most words, the word translated weaknesses in this passage can mean different things depending on how it is used. 
This word is translated, the original Greek word is translated into our English text a few different ways. One of the ways it's translated is infirmities. Anybody ever heard that? Infirmities. It's also used to describe someone who is helpless. When the lame man was, was helpless in the sense that he could not walk, the Bible says that he it, it uses that word to translated um, helpless. It's also used to speak of weakness or someone who is weak. I wish I had time to show you all this tonight, but let, let me just, I, I got some words I want to go, that's why I'm not taking the time right now. But Isaiah said that Jesus came to help us with our sicknesses and our infirmities. Hospitals used to be called infirmaries. And someone who is sick is referred to someone who is infirm. I don't use those words anymore, but that's especially for an older generation. So what has happened is we sometimes think of someone that is sick. In other words, we think of sickness and infirmity as being the same thing, as interchangeable. They're not. Because someone has a sickness, that sickness can create an infirmity in their life. In other words, the sickness can create a weakness because they're sick, they're unable to function in a certain way or on a certain level or unable to do certain things because of their sickness. So again, Jesus came to heal us of both our sicknesses and our infirmities. Oh, that's good news right there. So the key idea communicated by this word is someone who is in a condition or has a condition that prevents them from accomplishing a needed task or desired result. Someone who finds themselves in a condition, right? Or in, what was the other words we said? Someone that finds themselves in a situation. Someone that um, Jesus was able to accomplish things on a level that seems so extreme that we put him in a category of like a superhero. And when we talk about what he accomplished, we, we, we say like, yeah, but that was Jesus, Pastor Mark. Except for Jesus said, the works that He did, we would do also, and even greater works. 
It's very easy. For, now listen, Jesus is the firstborn, was the only begotten Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He exists in a category in that regard that no one else exists in or ever will. And don't misunderstand me, and if you, if you are misunderstanding me, let me make sure that I get that stated right off the bat. But when it, came to, when it comes to what he, did, what he did on this earth as a man, if you read the Gospels carefully and if you listen to Him carefully, on every occasion He was wanting His disciples to do what He modeled for them. It wasn't, sit down boys, only I can do this. It was, come on boys, let's do this together. He would do it once and then hand them the stuff for them to go do it. He was wanting them to learn. He was wanting them to grow. Even with the fig tree, right? Jesus, they were so amazed. He looks at them and says, have faith in God. You can say not to a fig tree, but to a mountain. To a mountain be cast into the sea. Now either Jesus has lost his mind, and of course he hasn't. Or he's talking about potential that we have and have not yet discovered. The latter is true. You have potential that you've not yet discovered. Now what happens to us is we think the most, effective a pers uh, the most effective person among us, the most efficient person, the person who gets the most done with a 24-hour time span than any other person among us, the most organized, the most resourceful, the most creative, the most inventive, the most passionate, the most determined, the most diligent, the most hardworking, all these other things. See, we think, okay, that, that person, you know, all that they're able to accomplish, all the results they're able to produce, right? We look at that as kind of the extreme and, and the rest of us are kind of somewhere beneath that and we look at getting results from that position, from that perspective. And we put Jesus as the outlier in a category way up here, way above us and the results that he got and the things he was able to accomplish and the things he was able to produce as being this extreme, uh, literally once in an eternity experience on planet earth that will never be matched or paralleled ever again. That's not what he said. He said, you will do what I am doing if you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me and I'm in you and you're in me. So I'm offering to you tonight that Jesus was not the extreme case, but Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the norm, and we're all subnormal. We're all below normal because of our weaknesses, because of the condition that we are in, right? Let me read the definition one more time. I'm trying to finish, but this is important. Man, this is so important, all right? So when it says our weaknesses, the key idea communicated by this Greek word, it's speaking of someone who is in or has a condition that prevents them from accomplishing a needed task or a desired result. I don't want to freak you out. I'm going to show you this in the Scripture. Please stay with us on Wednesday nights. Let me, give it all of, let me give it all to you before you think I've, I'm crazy, okay? But I promise you I'm not. God 
never knew weakness until he knew it through the person of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus came to this earth, He existed in a condition and in an environment of no darkness, no sin, no curse, no lack, no need, no poverty, no sickness, no pain, no suffering, no fear, not even the slightest worry, no confusion, no ignorance or ignorant people, no loss, no death, no hunger, and no threat of any of these. And the list could go on and on. Are you understanding what I'm saying? God didn't know what it felt like to be hungry as a man until He became a man and felt it. Never knew what it was like to experience as a man having someone you dearly love beheaded by a heathen king. So he experienced those things as God precisely. He became a man. When Jesus became a man and became one of us, first time in all of eternity God was experiencing weakness in the form of a man the man Jesus Christ are you hearing what I'm saying when Jesus as the son of God on the throne in heaven anything and everything he needed right there no lack on earth now as a man He had to sleep. Jesus didn't have to sleep in heaven. As a man, he had to sleep. As a man, he had to eat. As a man, his armpits got sweaty. He had to bathe. Do you think God the Father ever gets off his throne to go take a shower? Are you kidding me? Jesus had B.O. Are you understand what I'm saying? And he experienced the limitations that we all experience as human beings who face things in our lives that we don't have answers for, face things in our lives that are impossible face issues and problems in our lives that we don't know how to solve. We we don't have medicine to take to fix it. We don't have surgeries to undergo to to take it out of us. What in the world? Jesus lived with those kinds of weaknesses and modeled for us how to deal with them without sin without sin. Stand with me tonight, praise God. I could, I could be standing here when the sun come up in the morning. I've got that many notes and I'm burning passion in my heart. This is probably the longest I've preached in a Wednesday night in a long time. Amen. So thank you for loving me. Thank you for letting me. And, and I'm telling you, 
Let me just pray. Father, you're good to us. You're good to us. And Father, there are men and women in this room who are struggling right now in their life because they have financial problems. They're in a condition right now in their lives that they don't seem or feel or see any way out of. It's weighing heavy on them. They don't know what they're going to do next. Lots of people, Father, in those kinds of situations have broken Your commands, committed sin, embezzled money, stole money, lied about money, wrote bad checks for money because they're feeling the pressure of a weakness. And the pressure of that weakness, Father, drives them to sin. Show us, Father, tonight how to not turn to the things of the flesh, but to turn to faith for the answers. Turn to faith for the impossibilities because all things are possible to him who believes. Father, I thank you tonight that the same Holy Spirit who's teaching me these things lives and dwells within my brothers and sisters tonight. And He's teaching them these things as well. Father, these things are both taught and caught. And I thank You, Father, that Your Holy Spirit is helping us to catch these truths deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. And Amen. Praise God. Thank You so much for being here this evening. We're going to continue this. I promise you we'll continue this. There's a lot more to it. We'll kind of review to lay the groundwork, and then we'll dig into some more of it next Wednesday. Good things coming. I'll see you Sunday, if not before.